Thank you, choir. Thank you, Katie. I think it's one of the most moving, worthy scenes in all the Bible. Um, Jesus being transfigured um, and, and Moses and Elijah appearing with him on the mountain. I think when Jesus went up with his other three disciples, they had no idea what was going to happen. I think the disciples just figured they would go pray with Jesus as they so often did. And suddenly, he fairly crackled with glory and with light. And Moses and Elijah, they're the two greatest leaders of Jewish history. It would be like sitting in an American history class and suddenly having Abraham Lincoln and Harriet Tubman walk in. Right? Oh my goodness, what's going on here? And it's such, it's such a revelation of Jesus' divinity, the, the Godness of him. I, I have to think that he kept it tucked inside himself. And that day, on top of the mountain, he let it out for all to see, and the disciples were literally knocked off their feet by the overwhelming power of that. And I wonder what Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus about. Maybe they were sharing great theological truths. But this is what I imagine. I imagine that these three great Jewish leaders, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, I imagine they did some fetching, <laughs> being great Jewish leaders who got together to, to be with each other. I'm thinking maybe Moses and Elijah were there to commiserate with Jesus a little bit about just how hard it is to be a great Jewish leader. They knew a little bit about it from their own lives. And so I imagine Moses saying, whew, Jesus, you have got a lot in front of you. Um, in the reading, when it starts out six days later, it's because six days before, Jesus starts to announce to people that they're on their way to Jerusalem and he's going to be crucified, right? So that's in the back of everyone's mind at this point. And so I imagine Moses saying, it's going to be tough, Jesus. I, I got to tell you, going up in front of Pharaoh, that was not easy either. I was really tempted to not follow what God had called me to do. But I did it. And if I did it, you can do it. Right? And I imagine Elijah saying, going up against the 500 prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel, me versus all of them, that was not an easy thing to do. And even harder than that, Jesus, was when Queen Jezebel was out to get me afterwards and I had to go and hide in a cave and wait for God to speak to me out of the whirlwind. And I imagine Moses saying, what I wouldn't have given for being alone in a cave. You try getting a couple of thousand Hebrew people across the wilderness for 40 years. You'll be glad you had a cave to be in. And saying to Jesus, I know your disciples are kind of dense, but believe me, dense is way better than whiny. I did whiny for a really long time. And I imagine them chuckling a little together. The kind of rueful laughter that you have when you know you've come through hard things and you know there's more hard things to come. And because you know you have companions, you'll be able to get through it, right? And I imagine that when they laughed together, the light got even brighter for a minute. <clears throat> and then Jesus tucks all that glory back inside himself, 
And he goes and he raises up his disciples, gets, tells them to get on their feet and not be afraid. And they go back down the mountain to normal life, or life as normal as it can be, given that they're going toward Jerusalem and toward the cross. But they don't come down the same way they went up. They've had this amazing experience of awe, all four of them. And I think they're not the same afterwards. Because that's what awe does to us. It opens us up. Somehow an experience of just how big life is and we're part of it, or how interconnected we are with each other and with the world, that experience of wonder opens us up and settles us down at the same time. This last week, I became familiar with the work of, I'm going to make sure I get his name right, Dr. Keltner. And he has written a book recently about the science of awe. I didn't know there was a science of awe. And he talks about how awe affects our physical bodies. We all know something about how awe affects us emotionally. I've had experiences, I know you too have had experiences where suddenly you were just awakened to how beautiful things are. A gorgeous sunset, maybe, or that beautiful ballet that a hummingbird does around bee balm, in and out and in and out and in and out, feeding on the nectar. Those experiences of awe, they, they open our spirits up. They also settle our bodies down. They literally slow down our vagus nerve, which controls our breathing and our heart and our gut. It reduces our cortisol levels, experiences of awe do. And as our bodies settle, our spirits settle as well. <clears throat> I know that Jesus was both human and divine. That's one of the mysterious and completely unexplainable things that we believe about Jesus. Um, I am grateful for his divinity and for the story of him letting it all out on top of the mountain. I also, I really need Jesus to be human, which is why for me it's important to imagine that Moses and Elijah came to offer him support and comfort to do a hard thing. Because I need to know that Jesus knows how hard it is to be a person in this world. When he says to his listeners at the Sermon on the Mount, don't be worried about what you'll wear or what you'll eat or where you'll live or, or any of those things, I want to know that he knows what it's like to lie awake at night, not being sure what the next right move is in his life. If he doesn't know that, then his, his request to us to not worry doesn't echo as solidly for me as it does if he too knew what it was like to be scared, if he too wondered what the next right thing to do is. And so when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Look at the birds in the air. Look at the lilies of the field. I wonder if he's inviting them to return to an experience of awe. 
for them to realize the beauty of the natural world around them and how God cares for every single blade of grass and every single bird in the air and every single person. That awe that opens us up and helps us to trust. It comes to us in all kinds of ways. In nature, absolutely. Also comes to us in people, often. Those, th- those experiences of people we have that make us catch our breath, that make our heart beat a little bit faster, sometimes that move us to tears. Um, if you watched the Super Bowl last weekend, you'll know that one of the first, one of the commercials early on was for a dog food called the Farmer's Dog. Um, I didn't actually see it on TV. I was in the kitchen, I think, taking wings out of the oven to feed all the folks in our house at the time. So I watched it the next morning on my phone. <clears throat> and um, the Farmer's Dog commercial starts out with a young girl welcoming her puppy home and saying to him, I'll always take care of you. And then, predictably enough, it shows them through all the stages of her life, right? It shows her saying goodbye to the dog when she goes off to college and the dog coming to her wedding, right? And it ends with the dog in bed with her and her newborn child, and she and the child are both patting the dog's nose, and she's saying to the dog, forever. And by now, of course, the dog has a graying muzzle, right, and is getting near the end of the dog's life. It takes takes 60 seconds for it to tell that story. And when I saw the beginning of it, I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those tearjerker commercials. And darned if I wasn't crying by the end of the commercial. Because when we experience love, even the depiction of someone else's love, that opens awe in us. Even the love between a girl and her dog and the dog and the girl even more so when we see it with other folks or when it happens in our own lives. When we see Olympic athletes embrace at the end of a tough race, even though they're on opposing teams or in a, on, from different countries. Um, last Friday, I was working at the Friday Cafe and I was thinking about some of these themes for the sermon and I found myself knocked over, not literally, but inside, knocked over again and again with awe at the people who were coming in. To Friday Cafe is a place for folks to come in who need food, who need a place to just sit and be indoors for a little while. And so as folks came in and as I was watching them come in, the grace and the resourcefulness and the gratitude and the humor that each of these folks brought in, almost every single one. And, you know, even a couple of folks who came in kind of brusquely and and a little demanding, again, their resourcefulness to get what they needed, I was awed by that humanity. As I was by the humanity of the folks who were cooking and serving and wiping down trays and doing all of the things that was necessary for that to take place, as it does each week. Such awe right here in Harvard Square. I expect something similar happened yesterday at the sandwich handout. I was not part of that myself, but I know that that experience of going out to folks in Harvard Square and Central Square with food is an experience of of touching the humanity of these folk who so often we walk by or who walk by us. We don't always notice it. 
Doing that opens us up to God and who God is opens us up that the things that we worry about, yes, they're big and yes, sometimes they're really important and yes, they are not the whole picture. The whole picture always has God in it, always has awe in it. And when we lose our ability to do that, as I do on a regular basis, and maybe you do as well, Dr. Keltner suggests that we go on awe walks. He said, go out and make yourself, go out with the determination that you will see something that will amaze you, and you will see something will amaze you. He said, awe walks can change your life. And he talks about how when his brother died very young of colon cancer, it was going on awe walks that helped him to hold his spirits together after that death. He said, go to awe spots, places where you and other people know that you have found awe. There's something about being in a sanctuary. It, it helps if it's as beautiful as this sanctuary, right? But in any sanctuary where people have worshipped again and again, it seems to hold awe within its building, right? Or where are the places where you reliably can see the beauty of nature? There's a high place in Danahee Park where you can almost always see a good sunset. There are places <clears throat> on the Mystic Valley Parkway where if you know where to look, there are almost always turtles. If you just go out on Cambridge Common and sit for a moment, the parade of humanity that comes through that common is remarkable. And watching the folk who are there, it opens us up. I want to leave you with the words of, of Thomas Merton, who was a Trappist monk and an activist and a contemplative in this country. And he describes this experience he says that one day he was at the corner of 4th and Walnut in the middle of Louisville, Kentucky, in a shopping district. And he writes these words. I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people. It was as suddenly I saw the secret beauty in their hearts, the person that each one is in God's eyes. I almost laughed out loud. And if only everybody could realize this, but there's no way of telling people that they're all walking around shining like the sun. All walking around shining like the sun. Transfigured as Jesus was. Having the glory of God within us and sometimes shining out of us. That is a powerful corrective. I think, to the worries of the world. And when we lose it, when we forget it, looking around for amazement, being connected with each other, being connected with God, knowing that God desires for us that deep power, that deep light, that brightness of spirit, it's always presence, present. It is awesome. Might that be true for all of us? Amen. Our next hymn is number 173 in the Red Hymnal.
also the church of action. 